give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Corey Sullivan, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Albert Gim. Albert, what's going on, brother? What's going on? It's good uh, It's good to record today. I had uh, a wild day at work, but regardless of all that, we're talking about somebody very near and dear to my heart, so I'm super excited for this episode. I'm ready to rock, and... Um, yeah, man, I'm I'm good to go. How are you doing, Corey? I never ask you how you're doing. <laughs> I I'm doing well. Uh, basketball team clinched a playoff spot last night. Big win, so that was exciting. Um, we're we're rolling over there, and uh, you know we got about two weeks to prepare for the first playoff game because we still got a couple of couple of games left in the season. Um, so I'm doing well, and I'm excited yeah, because today. Today we are going to cover a, a player that I think is being severely underrated uh, in draft circles. There is a, a small faction of, of draft Twitter that appreciates um, this prospect. But uh, in the mainstream, they, he hasn't really come around yet. So I, I'm talking about uh, Davidson Wing, Hyungjung Lee. And Albert, you actually wrote a really, really fantastic article on Lee today uh, for your taking out the trash series over at no ceilings. So uh, I'm glad that we were able to, uh, you know, catch a little serendipity on when we were recording and, and when you were writing. And I'm really excited to to get into Mr. Lee's game because I, I think that there's a, a lot to like. <laughs> well, first off, thank you for the plug. Um, and uh, thank you for the kind words. I actually had some people reach out today and they had a lot of really nice things to say. So I'm, you know, for me, Corey, I, I've said this to you always, I feel so new to all this. And so even like writing about basketball still feels ridiculously new. So just having the opportunity to be able to write and then to be able to write about a player who is from Korea and he's going to come into the draft. And that's really, really exciting for me. So I'm um, ready to talk about it. And I'm excited. Let's fucking go. Um, all right. So as we said, Hyung Jung Lee is uh, a Davidson wing. He's 21 years old right now. He'll be 21 on draft night. He is a junior. He's six foot seven, 210 pounds, went searching and couldn't find a wingspan. But if you just watch the tape, he doesn't look like one of the T-Rex arms guys. He looks like he's you know, at least got uh, a six, seven, like at least it's even with whatever his height is, I believe. And I think it might be a plus wingspan even, which is, which is good. Uh, Lee is averaging 16 points per game, 6.4 rebounds per game, 2.1 assists to 1.7 turnovers, only 0.1 blocks and 0.7 steals on the defensive end. But this is where Mr. Lee is going to, you know, bread that butter. 48.1% from the field, 38.9% from three, 80% from the free throw line, true shooting, 62.6. He's over 60% from uh, from twos overall. And uh, these numbers are fantastic. You're looking at, you know, almost 50, 40, 80. He was 50, 40, 90. 
50 last year as a sophomore. And these numbers are, are down and they're still, you know, really, really efficient. So that, that's a positive sign. Uh, he has a PER 22.6 this year. And a little fun fact, his mother won uh, a silver medal in the 1984 Olympics. So that comes from, comes from an athletic family, which uh, I think bodes well for, you know, I know our, our guy, Tyler Rucker always likes pedigree guys who come from from families of of athletes and Hyung Jung Lee does as well. So that's that was a fun little fact I found. Um, <clears throat> stock prices we're going to be able to fly fly through this section here because preseason he was unranked virtually everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, unranked on the no ceilings draft appeal. Um, currently. ESPN has him at 86 in their top 100, so that would be outside of the top 58 for the two rounds of the draft. But the Athletic, Sam Vecini, has him at 35, so shout out to the Athletic. Tankathon, he's unranked. Basketball News, he's unranked. Bleacher Report, unranked. No ceilings, he came in at 24 on our board. So he has an average price of 54 currently. So, you know, you can say that he's a little bit more on the radar in, in draft circles. I remember he was somebody that, you know, you were even talking about last year a bit um, coming off a of 50, 40, 90 season. So uh, I'll be interested to see if he becomes a name to watch for as we near the draft more so than now um, when everyone starts really doing their research. Because Hyung Jung Lee is he's worth your he's worth your while. So uh, I'll ask you, Albert: <clears throat> Is his stock price too high, too low, or is it just right at fifty four? Um. Well, so I mean, my bias and uh, with what I believe and what I what I've seen on tape, fifty six feels way too low for me. Um, but at the same time, Corey, I totally understand why that's the case right now um i think it's it, it, he's just somebody who's not on the radars of certain you know news outlets or you know people who are covering the draft and that's okay like i i, I think it's totally fine we have guys who come out of nowhere late in the process guys who can shoot up boards um i don't know if espn or basketball news or any of these other outlets will ever have him in the top 58 that you know you need to get drafted this year but it's okay for me i i totally understand it and i'm ready to kind of do some defending today um and be okay. able to talk a little bit more about him so people get a better idea of who he is as am i as am i all right so let's get into uh the scouting report a little bit because i i'm also a, a buy on this one his stock is is way too low and if you're getting him in that spot of the draft i think it's an absolute steal so you started here with your article it's the only place to start it's where we usually do start with most prospects let's start with the shooting all right this is lee's calling card he is I think the best pure shooter in the class. Um, so let's let's start with the off-ball shooting because that's where you know he gets the most of his points from. So talk to me about about the shooting a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with um, with Lee is I, I feel like people are gonna watch highlights 
And when they watch highlights and eventually if ESPN comes around and other outlets come around, they're going to make highlights of him. And I feel like a lot of the highlights are going to be him standing in the corner, catching and shooting. And I feel like that really undersells who he is as an offensive player. Um, but as you mentioned, we want to start with the off-ball shooting. And I think with the off-ball shooting, the thing with him that I love so very much is that he's great at moving off-ball. He's a guy who utilizes screens really, really well. In his three years at Davidson, he's had a lot of opportunity to run around and run off screens. And he does a great job of that. And it's not, as I wrote in my article, it's not simply that he's, you know, trained to run off these screens but he does it with a lot of savvy he does it with great timing he does it with a lot of vision and when i say vision i I think he really reads his defender reads what the defense is doing and how they're playing him off of these screens and he makes really good decisions whether that's you know flaring out to catch his catch for you know a movement off movement three-point shot or you know if he sees that his defender is cheating a little bit then he'll make a really nice cut to the basket but in terms of his outside shooting um, off movement. I-, I love it, dude. I mean, of course, he's not perfect, but uh, I-, I really like it a lot. He can do it off balance. He could do it without having his feet fully set. Quick release. Um, you know, I wrote in my ar- article, he does a little like weird thing with his right foot, but it's cool. I think that's just like a, <laughs> that might be like a timing, like a balancing for him. But yeah, for me, Corey, I, I just, there's so much to like about him as a shooter, and I'm excited for people to get into that, but also for the rest, for like, you know, as we get into him as a prospect, there's going to be a lot more for us to talk about beyond just the shooting. No doubt about it, and I love watching players like this. You know, I I think when I was in high school, I really kind of fell in love with J.J. Reddick's game. You know, I saw him at the McDonald's All-American game that was in New York um, when I was in high school. I you know, saw him in a three-point contest in high school, and then obviously the hype of him going to Duke. I just loved watching guys who could run around the court and not have to dribble the ball at all, and they could still create a shot. And I think that you know, we're going to talk about like his self-creation ability, right? Because when you put the ball in his hands, he's not going to be like, hey – Go get a bucket. That's not his game. Right. But there's that's not the only way to create your own shot. Like the fact that, you know, you wrote in your article that he's assisted on almost 96% of his threes this year. That doesn't mean that he's not creating those looks. So right. that stat almost feels a little bit misleading because what what he does and the way that he moves off the ball, if you're a fan of basketball you love it because you mentioned how savvy it is he uses start stops he'll he'll run full speed and then you know uh, from one wing and then he'll get to uh you know the opposite block and he'll just stop for a second because you know there's somebody there for a screen and then he'll he'll look like he's cutting back in the same direction but then he'll actually you know dart off that screen and pop out to the opposite wing it's just it's so fun to watch him because he's a master at his craft. And it's, it's something that is, you really have to just have a feel for it. it. There's a reason that not every shooter can do it. There's a reason that not every player can move off the ball. It's a skill. It's really a skill because you have to read what the defense is doing. You don't want to go and clog up the space of dribble penetration or wherever your big is. You have to really have an understanding of what's going on in the offense. And, you know, Davidson, credit to them because they have a, you know, he's not the only shooter on that squad. And they run some really, 
really good stuff to get him coming off pin downs and double staggers and just running floppy action both ways. And there's like this five out action that allows him to take advantage of this movement that he, he creates. But, um, you know, whether he's creating a ton of separation, I think a lot of times he's getting, you know, really clean open looks because he is so good at beating his man moving off the ball. Uh, but like you said, he's he could shoot it with a hand in his face too. And when you can shoot it with a hand in your face at six foot seven, that's where the value is. You know, he's not JJ Redick at six four. You know, he's he's closer to you know what Duncan Robinson, Joe Harris type right. type height. And that height with his shooting stroke is one of the reasons I'm so bought into Lee as a prospect because he's still going to get clean looks in the NBA um, due to, due to his size and the way he moves. Now I, I do think that sometimes this kind of basketball archetype where you are relying on a lot of off ball movement. I think there's a little bit of an adjustment period when you get to the NBA. I think you saw Corey Kispert going through it earlier this year, and now he's finally starting to kind of pick it up a little bit and, and get to his spots and, and feel more comfortable I think that in college, obviously, like you can do a lot of things to create that separation and get space and you have a little bit more time to get your shot off. Although Lee's got a very quick release and it's a high release. So it's it's another thing I love about it. Um, but eventually these guys, they they figure out the speed of the NBA game. They figure out the pace of it. They figure out, OK, I have to maybe, you know, zigzag a little bit more or whatever the case is. They, they figure out how to get to their spots eventually. Uh, and to me, the way that Lee moves, he reminds me so much of the elite off-ball shooters in the NBA. So I, I, I am way in on on it. It's it's a joy to watch, man. Yeah, no, I I hundred percent agree with you, Corey. And, and and I loved I loved what you said about because we talked about the savvy of it all, right? And how that stat can be so misleading, right? The assisted percentage of yeah. all his shots. I'm with you, man. Like you, you see the stuff that they run. And as you mentioned, like not only do they run really good sets, but also their screeners do a really good job too. Yeah. I forgot the name of their big, but that dude set some awesome screens. But even with that, like, you know, you can have a guy who sets great screens, but if you don't have the savvy, and you don't you don't use those screens well, Corey. You being a high school coach, I'm sure you teach your younger kids all the time. Like you have to know how to use those screens well. You have to really brush up on those screeners. And Dude, right, we have we've accumulated more. And this is one of the best teams I've ever coached because we're just mm-hmm. so good defensively. We've accumulated more moving screen turnovers this season than probably in my entire career combined. My Jesus. bigs. They play hard as hell. They got good feel. They just cannot set a screen for the life of them. So it's certain setting a good screen is certainly a skill. And you see, you know, a big like Rudy Gobert. It's why jazz fans go so hard for him saying that he's creating all these screen assists. Right. Um, So it's definitely, definitely a skill. So shout out to Davidson's bigs because it's an unheralded skill. Right. A lot of the time. Right. And to buy into it, um, to, Mm -hmm. to free up shooters like this, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. Right, right. And then one one last thing really quickly when we talk about his uh, off-ball movement and stuff like that. Like, even when 
you mentioned creation for him is, is a struggle. It's a big time struggle for him. He doesn't have um, a good handle at all. He has, he does not have shake. He doesn't have a quick first step. But the thing that I, in the, if you watch the first clip that I posted in my article today, they're, they're playing Alabama and he gets absolutely just, just stonewalled by Jaden Shackelford. But I, but in that possession, what was so smart is he gives the ball up and he resets himself right away. He's ready yeah. in the corner. He's ready for the catch. And then he just lets it fly and he bangs it. And it's just no like, okay, right, right. No hesitation. Hands in his face. But I just loved how he so quickly reset himself and was ready to shoot again. And I think that's the type of stuff that, as you mentioned, Corey, on the next level, you need NBA shooters to not just be good shooters, but to be able to get it up quickly and get it up with a hand in your face. And so that's why, once again, like as I wrote about, like I, I, that his shooting and his off-ball shooting and all that, the catch-and-shoot shooting, none of that feels theoretical to me. Like I feel like all of that is going to translate so well. And as you mentioned, with more experience and coaching and getting into an NBA program, his strength is only going to get better, in my opinion. So yeah. a big reason why I'm super high on him, for sure. Now... One of the things that allows him to get clean looks as a shooter that makes him unpredictable, that makes all of that running around so hard to cheat. Because if you know that a guy is going to be running around a stagger screen, right, you might, and you can get away with it at the college level, you might not chase him. You might just cut it off and try to meet him at the spot. Now, Lee's a smart mover so in a scenario like that right uh he'll you know he'll flare out you know if you go over the screen instead of chasing under he'll just flare out to the you know corner and now all of a sudden you have a a new pass but with that said what makes him so dangerous is that he's such a good he's so good at curling off these screens and making his way to the hoop so again he's creating shots for himself with his movement, it's not just outside shots. He's able to get to the hoop and get shot attempts at the rim where, you know, in your article, uh, he's finishing 78% on close twos. I mean, that's freaking phenomenal, man. <laughs> it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal number. Right. And it's a number that, like you said, I, I mean, his handle, I think, is reasonable, is how I would put it. Like, he's not... <laughs> He's not going to dribble the ball off his foot. He's just not going to break you down one-on-one, right? Um, But if you put him, if you did have him, you know, in a ball screen or something, he's not going to dribble the ball off his foot. He's going to be able to dribble in a straight line, you know, whatever. But he's he doesn't have to dribble to get points, and his curling off these screens, like when he comes off a double stagger from you know going from the rim out to the wing. And somebody's chasing him because they, they need to meet him to block his three-point shot. And then he curls right back and and gets that little, you know, off a of face cut, whatever. It's just, it's beautiful to watch. And his size allows him to, to finish, you know, around and through traffic, too. It's not like he's getting wide open shots all the time at the rim. He's finishing. He could finish with his left hand. He could finish with his right hand. Uh, it's really smooth. It doesn't look awkward at all. And that's as pretty as getting open for the the attempts outside the three-point line, you know, where he's really going to be looked at as a specialist. But the fact that he can actually, you know, curl or cut back door and just beat guys all these other ways using the entirety of the half court is, is what another reason that I'm so high on his offensive potential. 
yeah, dude. I, I think the point that you just made about him curling to the rim, it, it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. As you said, him being six seven, it really helps him around the he has great touch around the rim too. Yeah. Um, that has to be said. He has really, really good touch around the rim. Um, the funniest stat that I found, you know, I I went into a deep dive on a lot of his stats. Uh he has zero dunks this season, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's okay. I mean, he doesn't have to dunk it uh, for him to finish at the rim. A lot of savvy little layups. He, as you mentioned, um, it's not like he's open at the rim every single time. Sometimes the center's down there, and he's not afraid to take it up. And um, also, we're going to get into his passing a little bit later, but sometimes yes. when the big does step out and he's there, he makes the right read, and he can find the guy at the dunker spot. So he he's a guy to me, Corey. Like, I, I'm so thankful to be doing this pod with you because if it was just me kind of going on and on about him, it would sound disingenuous but Mm. everything that you're saying i'm with you and for me the curling that you just talked about is unbelievable and as i mentioned before he reads his man so well so well and he reads the defense so well he understands the spacing and and spacing college basketball sucks i mean it's a freaking nightmare (laughs) but he he navigates it so freaking well and he's able to generate space in those tight quarters without the ball in his hands I, i I'm with you, dude, 100%. Yeah, and look, you could fit him into any kind of offense you want to run because he doesn't need touches. He's going to he's gonna generate touches, you know. Um, one of the, you know, I, I just listened to the Draymond Green, J.J. Redick uh, podcast on Old Man and the Three. And Draymond was telling a story of, like, when Steve Kerr first took over, he was he kept preaching like ball movement, which was, you know, different than what Mark Jackson was doing, which was a lot of high screen and roll, a lot of like hunting mismatches and whatnot. And Steve Kerr just really like keep the ball moving, keep the ball swinging. And it would get to Steph and he would scream at Steph to swing the ball and keep it moving. And Draymond was like, why? Like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, why do we not like that's who we want the ball to get the ball? And he was like, the ball, like the shots are going to find the guys who need to shoot the ball right so like if you keep the ball moving and you keep moving yourself eventually you're going to be the one who finds the open shot uh and obviously Steph's the best of all time probably at at all of this uh and the most lethal so you know I'm not predicting that young Jung Lee is going to all of a sudden have a, a Stephen Curry type uh effect on an offense but I think that in that way like he doesn't need touches and he'll figure out ways to be involved in the offense without having to have some crazy high usage. So you put him on any team and he's going to be able to have a positive impact um, on the offense with his shooting, his floor spacing, and the fact that he doesn't need to have the ball and the fact that he can still find opportunities to get to the rim. Now you mentioned his passing and his passing is not something again, he doesn't, he's not a, a high usage player, but so often in the NBA, we see these sets and, and we see shooters likely who are able to, you know, figure out with the right partner, a beautiful two man game that when these guys come off a DHO or, you know, uh, a little give and go and whatnot, like the big is going to hedge out when the, when Lee's man is chasing. Right. So the big has to just hedge out a little bit so he doesn't get a wide open shot. And if you have a big who understands and dives to the rim there, like he's going to find him. Right. And and Lee is as responsible as his teammates are 
for you know the the passes from the wing to got to other guys that are curling to the hoop. He's got great touch. He's got great timing. He leads his man to the spot. It's it's really really fluid. He's not going to average five assists a game in the NBA. He won't have the ball in his hands enough to do it. But he's a guy, and you mention it, the word connector is a really popular term. Uh, and it's a good way to describe him because he will be a connecting piece. And, you know, you look at what J.J. Redick had with um, DeAndre Jordan in L.A. Right. or Joel Embiid right. in Philadelphia. You look at what Duncan Robinson has with Bam in Miami. And, you know, I think that with the right partner, the right big man, Young Jim Lee can, can do a lot of similar things coming off of all of these actions and be used as a passer to make you know some really fun reads so i i'm very intrigued with this passing as well yeah man i'm definitely with you i, I t- in preparation of my piece i actually watched a ton of duncan robinson because mm. for me i really wanted to see how lee's game could translate to the next level because i imagine whoever ends up taking lee or if they dra- get, get him as a uh undrafted free agent they're gonna want him to be that type of player right running off screens whatever being a shooter the the biggest thing that i noticed watching duncan robinson with bam Adebayo, it's it's like 80 percent dribble handoffs dho's and you know duncan robinson does a pretty good job um but when i was watching him it really made me think like wow if we if they were whoever gets him right if they run lee off of sets like that he's actually going to be able to throw some really nice passes to the roll man or the strong side corner or the weak side corner. However, the defense reacts to that roller, he's going to be able to make the right decisions. And that's the thing that's so interesting to me about him. Uh, something that I didn't really get to mention a lot in my, in my piece about him is I, I said, he's a plus passer. He throws some really nice entry passes to the block too. Mm. He's not it's like, like when I watch the Knicks right now, one of the things that make that just makes my blood boil. It's, it's so hard for the Knicks to get a good entry pass into Julius Randall sometimes. Right. But when I watch yeah. Lee, like sometimes he throws some really great passes to their big on the block and it's, and it's so seamless. It's so accurate. It's so good. And then when they're running him off of these stagger screens and then they, they've got a guy cutting to the basket on the weak side, he can make that pass with precision, with timing, with accuracy, it's awesome. And so, mm. Corey, I, I 100% agree with you. He's not going to be your your main creator. I, I I compared him to Chad Pennington in my article, which may <laughs> not be the greatest um, comp ever because Chad Pennington's career was so-so. But I, I, I see it that way where it's like, you know, death by a million trillion little cuts. You know, he's yeah. going to be able to make a lot of really solid passes that may not end up on a stat sheet, but is going to help the fluidity of your offense with high IQ and really good vision. So it's hard not to love his passing. Yeah. Uh, it's again, he's like, you could look at him and pigeonhole him as this one dimensional guy, but he isn't on offense. He's, he's, he does so many things well that, with a high IQ that it, it really lends itself to how the NBA game is played now, which is a lot of pass and move, a lot of read and react, a lot of obviously high volume shooting. And he's, he does so well with it. Um, you know, with the passing Corey Kispert did it really well with Drew Timmy last year. Right. I don't know if he has, you know, I don't know if he has that partner in Daniel Gafford in Washington necessarily, um, but like these guys who have 
the ability to make those reads coming off the handoff and then use that as a, a pick and roll opportunity to, to hit the dive man. Like Lee's got that at the next level. And I think that Duncan Robinson is a really great guy for, for him to emulate in a role. And uh, that's a bag that, you know, Duncan Robinson got. So, you know, it's, it's out there. What exactly do you think on offense is his, is going to be his biggest struggle in the league? I mean, yeah, I, I, here's where we kind of get into the nitty gritty, right? As we mentioned, like self creation is almost going to be a zero. Um, now who knows, right? As you, uh, Corey, I think if, if anything, you're almost more optimistic than I am in terms of that, where, you know, I felt like his handle was kind of a nightmare, but you're right. You are right. He can dribble a little bit. Uh, and the biggest thing, you know, something that you mentioned, Corey, that I don't even think I mentioned enough in my piece. He's such a high IQ player. And I, and I don't know if it was, you know, the way, as you mentioned with his mom, also great tidbit on his mom. That was something that I didn't even put in my thing. Um, shouts for you to doing the research on that. But you can kind of tell he grew up playing basketball from a very young age and was coached really, really well because of like, do you remember on our pa- Paolo um, episode, we talked about Paolo and his passing and we said how mm-hmm. he's like a feeler and he's like, he's someone who's so cognizant of where his teammates are and how they, the spacing is on the floor. Lee's one of those guys, right? I, I think mm-hmm. he's so in- intelligent, but there are severe physical limitations with lee um there is some real stiffness with him that i think he's got to figure out and he's got to start doing some 5 a.m yoga he's got to start doing some things to work on the stiffness because he's ridiculously stiff he stands like a totem pole like i wrote in my in my article wherever he goes he's just he looks like a he what's the pickle rick guy from rick and morty he's just running (laughs) around like like you know one of those guys so that's something that he's got to work on but also it's he won't be able to create for himself, I think. And that's going to be a big thing where he's going to be a guy who's going to be almost solely reliant on another creator uh, mm-hmm. is kind of one of the big issues with him, I think. Yeah. I mean, that is the issue is that he doesn't have the self-creation, you know, the, the ball handling to me, I'm not down on him as a ball handler. I'm definitely down on him as a ball handler who is trying to create, offense for himself or his teammates you know like i'm not if you put him in a high ball screen he's not going to dribble the ball off his foot but he's also not gonna set somebody up to lead them into the screen hit a retreat dribble with a hard head like he's not going to do any of the creative stuff he's just not going to again dribble the ball off his foot the handle the stiffness it's all stuff like you said it i i don't know if he'll ever fully improve on that aspect but i do think with how even though his body is fairly stiff great posture on the guy i don't know if that is going to hurt him on the offensive end that he's a little Mm. upright you know i I don't Mm -hmm. know i i think that he's he's a smooth guy regardless of the sniff the stiffness there's a little bit uh uh of contradiction in that i guess when you say it out loud but like you're not it doesn't look like a struggle when he's like running around the court you know what i mean like it's he definitely knows what he's doing and he's fluid in it um but if you you give him challenges for things that he's uncomfortable with i do think it would look rigid and and stiff i'm actually pretty optimistic about his frame um you know if he gets into a professional uh workout situation like i 
I don't look at his frame and think like this guy can't get stronger. Again, he's he's very big, so that bodes well right. for dealing eventually with NBA level physicality. He's not like a, a super high free throw attempt guy. You know, he's not right. bad because he does get you know attack the rim off movement fairly often. So I think he's shooting like three a game, which is you know decent enough for, for a guy who worse. isn't like yeah for a guy with his skill set. But um, comparing him to a totem pole is, you know, definitely kind of funny. <laughs> and uh, but again, I'm not really worried about his impact on the offensive end because what he does, he'll do well. He'll do it in a specialty mm. kind of way. And you know, I, even if he's a guy that isn't going to be a 30 minute per game guy down the line, I think for the minutes that he gets, he'll be fluid enough in doing his specific specialty on that end that if he doesn't improve any of that stuff, he'll obviously you get to the NBA, your game improves, you work on it and everything. But like, let's say just the skills that he has improves enough, but he doesn't really necessarily improve on his weaknesses. I think that he'll be fine. And, you know, our friend Tyler Rucker, he wrote, you know, really, really great article that got a lot of traction at no ceilings uh, about, you know, some do's and don'ts of scouting. Right. And one of the things, and this is definitely one of the things that, I believe in as well is figure out what a player can do, not what they can't do. And I think that's a little bit harder on the defensive end. (laughs) If if you can't defend, that is a problem. But on the offensive end, if you can figure out what makes a player successful and bring those skills out, what they can't do isn't necessarily as important because you can, you can hide it. So for me, for Lee, the offensive end, the weaknesses are weaknesses, but they're slight negatives that I'm not concerned about. Now, defensively, gotcha. defensively, on the other end, you know, I actually want you to tell the story and I want you to make the comparison because I, I think it's really <laughs> funny. And it's so out there when you're talking basketball, but it makes so much sense. Definitely for two guys who, you know, are from New York and you know I know me I'm Italian so I appreciate you know Italian food in a right. yeah, very big way uh, I want you to tell the story about his defense and, and what you compared it to in, in your article today right okay um <clears throat> so yeah I mean really quickly just want to kind of go back to what I said before about the stiffness I think what I was referring to is I think because he's so upright and stiff like the the dream of him becoming like a self-creation guy feels really impossible just because like, I just don't know if he'll ever be able to cross anybody over is what I was referring to. But yeah, I totally agree with everything that you said. Um, here we go. Let, let's talk about the defense because, you know, for somebody who is so high on him, I feel like I was really fair. Um, I really tried to be critical and objective about him mm-hmm. defensively because I think there are some really glaring big issues with him as a defender. So uh, to give you guys a little bit of the context and the story that uh, Corey's referring to, if you haven't read the article, um, I I, I tried to come up with some sort of comparison to Lee's effort, but also the results of that effort on defense. So in high school, I had a close friend of mine. um, I won't say his name, but uh, him and his brother, uh, his his parent, his dad, he didn't. His dad wasn't really in the picture. Mom was always working, but they lived with grandma too. And so, grandma was this elderly Korean woman 
who had come over to the States not too long ago, didn't really know American culture or anything outside of like Korean culture. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the two boys would come home every day and she would make them Korean food every damn day. It was like rice and kimchi and whatever. Right. Some sort of soup, whatever. And so, you know, my friend's older brother was kind of a troublemaker, a guy who was kind of known in our area as, you know, scary dude. Um, he just got so fed up with his grandma and was like, I'm so sick and tired of eating the same thing every day. Um, in Korean grandma, you say harmony. And he's like, harmony, I'm sick of eating rice every day. And he's like all pissed off. And so he's like, can we eat something like, I don't know, like spaghetti. And so his grandma <laughs> being a loving grandma, She's like, okay, like, you know, let me go to the market. So she goes to like a Korean supermarket and, you know, Korean supermarket, they don't just sell Korean food. So I guess she found like spaghetti noodles in one of these like random aisles where probably they also sell like cat food and other things. So she grabs a pack of, <laughs> so she grabs a pack of spaghetti and then her understanding of spaghetti was like, okay, it's like spaghetti and something red on top. It's like something tomato-y. So she bought ketchup. So she goes home, she boils the noodles, and she covers the spaghetti in ketchup, and she serves it to the two boys. <laughs> His older brother, he takes a bite of it. He's like, what the F is this? And he, like, freaks out, right? He tosses his plate out, and then my friend just sits there because he was, like, the, he's, like, the quote-unquote good son, you know, the golden sure. child. He just sat there and ate the whole damn plate for his grandma because he loved his grandma and um that's love you know r.i.p to her she eventually passed away not too long after that well i mean a couple years after that she didn't pass away because of the whole incident but um sure. the, the comparison that i was trying to make is that hyunjung lee like my friend's grandmother puts incredible effort into his defense but there are some serious issues with him as an athlete uh, as a really stiff human being. And if you go into my art article, you'll see I put like maybe five clips of him getting absolutely roasted and toasted on defense. And a lot of it, as I wrote in my article, a lot of it comes down to him having incredibly slow feet. He has really stiff hips. Like when, when he's guarding a guard, if he gets switched up and he has to guard like a quicker point guard, they'll hit him with a crossover and it's over. Like, you, you don't have to keep watching that play. They're going to go all the way to the cup and finish because he just can't shift his hips over and stay in front of them or, like, move his feet. And then also the guy, Corey, you said you're optimi uh, optimistic about his build. I, I appreciate you for that. But right now, he's a little thin. Um, as I wrote, he is not a disciple of Jose Canseco. He is lacking some severe bulk there. So if you combine slow feet, super stiff hips, and not a lot of strength, he gets destroyed sometimes on defense is kind of what I, you know, I think very fairly put there in my article. And if he ever reads, and I think he might, because um, I, I know somebody who's very close to him. So he may end up reading this and I hope he doesn't hate me for it. It's all love, right? Constructive yeah. criticism is where I'm coming from, but it's deserved. And I think it's very deserved. Yeah, it was very fair. I think that, like you said, the effort's there, but sometimes it just, there's ketchup on it. And you want some marinara, some bolognese, maybe a little bit of Alfredo, and uh, maybe some vodka. Throw some vodka oh, sauce yeah. in there. But it's it's uh, it's ketchup sometimes. And you know that. Look, I NBA defense is important, and 
he's never going to be one of these big wings who are going to guard multiple positions and be you're going to be able to throw him on Kawhi Leonard or Jimmy Butler. That's not going to be his game. And and coaches are going to probably, I don't know if I'll say hide him, but they're going to have to work with him uh, in the defense. I think that off the ball, it's a much different story. You know, I think that uh, he's a really good rebounder um, and his height. It, again, like it all, it all comes back. If he was a six foot three prospect with the same numbers, I'd be a little, little less in on him being an NBA player. But he's got legitimate size. He finishes possessions with rebounds. He's in the right spots. You know, I think that, regard, irregardless of his his lack of strength, the fact that, that he can put his hands up and yes. contest shots near the rim, it's still challenging to finish over him because he's a big dude. And like, like I said, you know, earlier, I, I, even though I don't have measurements for his wingspan, I don't think it, it doesn't look like he has a negative wingspan. So right. and he looks like he's got the, the standing reach and the size to at least make things a little difficult near the rim. Now, he doesn't get a lot of blocks. He doesn't get a lot of steals. He's not going to be, you know, he doesn't have that quick twitch burst to anticipate a pass and all of a sudden he's off to the races getting a dunk. Obviously, he has zero dunks this year, right? Like, that's not his game. But if you're talking about, is he going to be in the right spot on the weak side? Yeah, he's going to have his feet in the paint cheating. He's going to split the difference um, when he has to. He's going to rotate. You know, he's going to be able to, okay, if, uh, you know, uh, the ball handler is on the wing and the the man who's guarding the, uh, the guard at the top of the key goes to throw a quick double at the wing, he's going to rotate and be at the nail um, waiting for this guy to rotate in case the ball swings back to him, right? He knows where to be. And to me, you know, that is an integral part of what is going to allow him to be on the NBA floor because one-on-one defense in the NBA is the hardest thing ever. You have the best players in the world who have all of the space and freedom to do whatever they want to, right? Like, with the the way that guards shoot it now, we went from you know playing fifteen feet and in to uh, what it like forty seven feet by fifty feet or something, you know, like and you have to guard all of it. So to be able to guard a guy on an island, like it's really hard to do that. There's very few guards who are capable um, or wings, you know, that are that are capable. But you got to be able to be on a string on defense and not break the chain when the ball's swinging around. And I do think he'll be good enough to be able to handle that part of defense. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. I think, <clears throat> especially off ball, um, that's where the intelligence comes in. As you mentioned, he he yeah. gets to the right spots. He makes the right reads. Um, he, as you mentioned, he knows how to get in the paint. And and to his credit, there are times, as you mentioned, well, he'll he'll try to wall up. He'll try to be. He'll try to stay vertical. He'll try to contest some shots down there. He's averaging what six rebounds a game, which, considering his frame and you know what he's asked to do, I think that's those are pretty good numbers. And you see it on tape. Like he's not afraid to go get down there and mix it up, even though he's lacking strength. But you know, it, it's just. <laughs> the on the ball stuff can be pretty terrifying. I, I purposely, honestly, for me, like I purposefully put some really bad clips in there because yeah. I, I wanted people to understand that I'm very objective about him. But then again, you know, at the very end, I put one clip there where he 
did do a pretty good job against St. Joe's. You know, he was moving his feet. He looked a lot smoother. He contested at the rim without fouling, stayed vertical. And so I, I'm, I just, you know, I'm with you, Corey. I, I don't think he he'll has ever his be moments. A defender. He, he yes. does have his moments. He has his moments yes. and the effort defense is about effort. And if you put in effort, Correct. you're going to get stops. You're not going to, yeah. sometimes good offense is better than good defense. And you don't want him on a quick shifty point guard, but he yeah. is going to be able to keep a guy in front of him enough that, you know, he's not just going to be, uh, you know, a, a bull, uh, you know, bullfighter or whatever. What's uh, what's the saying that's escaping me? Revolving door. Uh, that we'll use that Turn one. Style? And, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Clyde's Clyde's got some, you know, <laughs> some saying. I'm for, I'm forgetting. I was trying oh, to use. matador defense. That's what yes, it is. matador defense. He's not he's not a matador <laughs> on defense. <laughs> um, I mean, with quick shifty guards, he is, but I don't think he will be for the majority of people that he will be covering. Um, and. Early on as a rookie, yeah, that you know, a lot of rookies get hunted for switches and whatever. But eventually, you know, I think if he plays in the league for a long time, he'll be adequate enough, and his shooting will be valuable enough that you can live with the the, the defense. And he's a specialist. Now, a lot of people, and if you're listening this deep in, you might be one of the the people on the side that's optimistic. You might be. On the less optimistic side, you might see a guy who has limitations and you just don't think there's a spot for him. You don't think that he's draftable necessarily. And here's my thing. I tweeted out today a little question. And I was, because I was having trouble figuring out and finding examples myself. What I was looking for was examples of players that were around 6'7", high-volume, elite movement shooters, who for whatever reason didn't pan out in some capacity in the NBA. And this is the list that I got. Justin Jackson, uh, Carolina, right? Now, Justin Jackson was never an elite shooter in college. Yeah. He right. had a good year, but his free throw percentage was I believe sub 8, right? And um it was one year. Aaron Naismith. Aaron Naismith also had an outlier year, his second year. It was on yeah. like 11 12 games and he showed some flashes at the end of his rookie year and it's early Boston has been a disaster for most of the year and consistencies role, right? Coaching doesn't seem like, you know, he's thrilled with the way the roster is constructed. I wouldn't give up on Aaron Naismith in year two of his career in a weird situation. Clay Anthony early was thrown out there, which I thought was a weird one. Shout out Mavs draft. Uh, Never an elite, never an elite shooter was a good, was a good shooter his last year. But, you know, again, he's not one of the, a guy that if you're like, what is Clay Anthony early? How would you describe him? He's more a shooter. of a bucket getter. Yeah. Yeah. It was never like a pure shooter. And, Correct. um, you know, look, I don't think he was good for the Knicks, but you know, his career was almost cut short when, you know, he dealt, he, he was in, involved in a shooting, you know, he got shot. So yeah. I, you know, I don't think he ever recovered from that in a way that he was able to play, uh, basketball, uh, Nick Stauskas. 
was one, right? Now, Stauskas is a pretty good example. Stauskas is only he's shorter, probably what, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Stauskas was pretty phenomenal his last season at, at Michigan. Like, his numbers were, were pretty insane. Uh, but even Stauskas bounced around enough. And, you know, he was drafted in the lottery ahead of Clay Thompson, right? (laughs) Uh, So that is also like when you're looking at, are you drafting somebody in the lotto? You're drafting somebody in the back end of the first round or, uh, you know, even getting them as an undrafted free agent. So those were the majority of the names I got. I don't know how many names there. Oh, I also got Adam Morrison. Uh, was another one thrown out. Morrison had a, uh, I don't want to say underrated rookie year, but he was okay enough. Like he shot pretty poorly for a rookie, but he was a rookie in a situation. He got drafted third overall coming off that Gonzaga season. But Morrison was another guy, like he was, he didn't have the shooting numbers you thought he had throughout the entirety of his career. He just went nuclear his last year at Gonzaga where he was getting like compared to, to Bird you know, because he had a weird mustache. But now let's look at a lot here. I have a list of guys that are like in the NBA currently. Okay. Duncan Robinson. Yeah. I think that's the, probably the, the blueprint for, for Lee. If you're looking on how to, how does he succeed? Desmond Bain. Now Desmond Bain is also, he's got a little bit more of his bag. But yeah. he's been phenomenal, and but he he does have a lot of that movement shooting, the off-ball stuff, the curling of the hoop. Joe Harris, mm-hmm. got a bag. Obviously, you know, he's, he's been hurt, and news came out today that he might need another surgery, but Joe Harris yeah. took him a while, but he found a real role. Max Struss yeah. found, found a role in Miami. And he was a little yeah. bit more of like a bucket getter in college too, but he went to Miami, and now he's like this, you know, big time shooting threat um he's found a home Svi Mikhailu mm. you know bounce around a little bit but yeah. he's got a role in the league Doug McDermott that's the one for me yeah now McDermott if you actually look mm-hmm. at that draft you can argue that he did not get drafted too high the price that the Bulls the price, paid yeah. to move, yeah, the price that the Bulls paid to move up to get him was a lot, but the actual spot in the draft, if you go through, it's around where McDermott probably should be because McDermott's still playing in the league and he's a good NBA player. Correct. Davis Bertans. Yeah. A little overpaid. <laughs> <laughs> Had a contract year. Not a big part of the Wizards' future, I'm sure, or a very big part because they probably can't move him. But uh, Bertans was good in San Antonio, obviously had big moments with Washington, needs the right situation, but the guy is obviously a player. Garrison Matthews Mm -hmm. caught on, found a home in Houston. Matt Thomas, who's probably one of the shorter guys on this list, Getting minutes in Chicago. A lot of Bulls fans hate him. I think that he brings enough as a specialty shooter to be valuable in some of the minutes he plays. And then you got a guy like Corey Kispert who's starting to come on, get more comfortable. Right. I think he'll be a valuable role player. Then you have diff- you know other guys like 
you have a Chris Duarte, a Luke Kennard, a Kevin Herter. I think those guys all have more off-the-bounce game than these guys. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think they're exactly the same in role. But my point is, I feel like there's a lot more there, – there's, there's way more examples in recent history of guys that shoot it at the caliber that Hyung Jung Lee shoots it mm-hmm. that are successful in finding roles in the NBA – then there are guys that aren't working, that aren't working out. And the guys that I listed that are working out, maybe it's not happening all the time at their first location, but they're guys that are, that are, are valued and that eventually catch on because eventually they land in a spot where a team will just be like, shoot a three every time you get it, like launch like 10 threes per, you know, uh, hundred possessions or, or you know whatever the stat may be just go in there and be a gunner and that specialty role and it's a reason why a guy like justin jackson is still getting opportunities because he's looked at as a right. potentially like one of these guys who could space the floor as like a long wing and he's not that he isn't that elite shooter but he's still getting that opportunity young jung lee actually is an elite shooter and he has a, right. elite skills on that end to thrive in that role so for me, I look at all of these guys and I say, why can't that be Young Jung Lee? Hmm. Yeah, dude, uh, Corey, I'm with you. I'm with you. And you know, you want to hear something really interesting? A lot of those names that you brought up brought up were in the same draft class. When you talk about the guys who are like both good and bad, <clears throat> you mentioned uh, Clanthony Early, Joe Harris, um, guys like Rodney Hood, Gary Harris, James Young. Um, what's that guy? Adrian Payne, um, mm. Doug McDermott, Stauskas. They were all in the 14 draft, which is a really interesting thing to look at because that draft was filled with guys like, you know, the prototype you're talking about, guys who were supposed to be shooters, guys that, you know, teams thought were going to be able to space the floor and do certain things. Maybe I'm, I always kind of liked Adrian Payne. I always wondered what happened with him. I think he's playing in the big three now. So it kind of um, sucks. Well, the, you know, he, he was actually listed in like the replies of of my tweet and oh, um somebody was like yeah map draft listed him and i don't think he necessarily he was more of like a power forward who was like a yeah. picking you know like floor spacing big more than like a movement shooter correct but correct. somebody like hopped in and they were like i'll tell you exactly why he's not in the league he was in my class in college at michigan state and he was a dick and i can't imagine <laughs> that anybody liked him so th- that's probably why he's not in the league anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Adrian oh, Payne, maybe, maybe he's a yeah. good dude. Maybe he's like a good hang. I don't know. But this dude did yeah. not seem to think that who went uh-huh. to school with them at, at Michigan State. But <laughs> that's, dude, that's freaking hilarious. <laughs> but if, if you look at that draft class, even like a guy like James Young, do you remember how excited Bill Simmons was when the Celtics yeah. took James Young? You know, like there was yeah. this thought that he would be that level of a shooter, Rodney Hood. Now, Rodney Hood's a good example too. Like Rodney Hood, of course, that's a little bit more of the Young Jung Lee. I'm not yeah. saying it's a one for one, but they're a Hood's a shooter. Different, they're different roles. Right. You know, there's, it's right. like you're looking for more of like a wing scorer. Yeah. Than a wing, than yeah. the shooting uh, role that these other guys kind of play as movement shooters. Like, yeah, you can run Rodney Hood off actions, but like when he was coming out of Duke, you wanted him to be more, right? You wanted yeah. him to be 
the guy who can maybe run some pick and roll, who can attack downhill. And Correct. Rodney Hood was a good player before he got hurt. Like he was a good enough player that he was like, you know, you could put him in a rotation. He was he was pretty okay. But mm-hmm. um I don't want to say he didn't live up to expectations because I think he went like 18th in the draft or something. You know, yeah. I think he I think he I remember him falling in the draft. But James Young's another guy. You know, he had that big uh game in the tournament, uh, and he looked like one of these guys who was just gonna be like a bucket in the league. And he can never figure out the shooting. And that's that's kind of my my point. Like, sometimes the shooting indicators aren't real. Correct. And some of these other guys, there were signs. Like, a lot of these guys shot in the 70s from the free throw line. And while they might have been at 40 for a year, like, Hyung Jung Lee has been, he's been shooting this way every year in college. Like, he is a shooter shooter. Boy's got a strap. You know, it's it's not theoretical. You don't have to project. You don't have to hope that it'll improve. He's a shooter. So that's why I'm optimistic. And it's why for, you know, uh, I have him as a top 30 prospect. It's that's mm-hmm. the reason. I think that when you look back at wherever he goes, he might get undrafted. He probably will. You know, yeah. I think that, at, you know, and, and I'm sorry if this is going to be a, a little too woke for anybody, but I, I do think the fact that he's Korean. Mm-hmm. I think people don't necessarily take him as seriously if he was a white dude who played at, you know, at at Gonzaga or something. I just don't, I just don't think, I think that's part of it. I think that, you know, you know, it it sucks, but you could still go to LA fitness. And if there's an Asian kid at the the pickup, they'll still make Jeremy Lin jokes, right? Like that is just an unfortunate reality of how shitty people could be. And I think that there. There's not anything like I don't think it's like a purposeful like thing where they're holding it against him. I think it's almost like Mm -hmm. something that's in the back of somebody's mind that they're not even realizing that they're projecting. I don't know if that makes sense, but I truly believe that like he's being really underrated in this class and there's a number of factors, you know, um, and maybe it's just because we we had you know somebody on the No Ceilings YouTube channel being a moron in the comments about it, but I I do think that's a little part of it. But I think his resume stacks up, and I think if you look back, you're going to be hard pressed to find you know uh, a number of guys who are going to end up being more helpful to an NBA team than than Lee is with his skill set, even if he's only a specialist. Right, right, and Corey, I do want to say my my hope ultimately for Lee is that some NBA team decides to follow the no ceilings NBA model. Now Mm. this, the parallels are real, you know, our, our no ceilings NBA team, we're a team with a a lot of white writers and um, you know, our team of white writers took a chance on a Korean (laughs) dude who has no basketball background. And here I am doing pods and writing articles with our team. And in the same way, I really do hope that an NBA team will look at him for the player that he is. Like you said, Um, I I think we've talked for the last, what, close to an hour now about the things that he Mm -hmm. can and cannot do. And I think the argument that you laid out just now about all these guys who've panned out in the league and the very few guys who haven't, and, you know, there are a lot of different variables, right? But 
For me, I really do believe that there's a path for him to be a really good NBA player. I would never, ever argue that he's going to be an all-NBA guy. He'll probably never make an all-star team. and But that's no. okay. You need guys in the league who can play a role, who know their 100%. roles. Who can, like Bill, I was listening to his pod today. He was talking about like Grant Williams and how much Grant Williams has improved and how he's kind of like a really important commodity now to the Celtics where he realized, like, okay, I'm going to play defense and shoot corner threes. And he went to the gym and became a really good corner three point shooter. I think from day one, Lee's going to know his role and I'm just hoping a team takes a a good bet on him because I think he's going to be a a good NBA player. I agree. If we're trying to maximize his value in the league, what, what teams do you think would you be most excited for him to go to that would like really, if you invested in him, you're like, this is how I'm going to get the most out of this. Well, from what I understand, he's a big Warriors fan, so mm-hmm. that would be cool for him to end up on that team. And I, I think Draymond would be like, dude, I don't give a shit what you look like. If you can yeah. shoot the ball, I'm going to set you up. And Draymond, I think, would be really cool about that and do a great job of taking him under his wing even um, and get, even toughen, toughening the kid up. Although Koreans are notoriously tougher than we look, so uh, I will <laughs> say that. Uh, <laughs> um, also, as you mentioned, now I know they have Duncan Robinson, but that type of system, right, where they yep. – really value shooting and they don't just expect shooters to just shoot but they set up their shooters to be successful um i think that's a really interesting situation as well so any team like that i think would be a great fit for him where he could go in and be who he's meant to be uh, and is valued for what he can offer an nba team but will also work on him and his warts and his weaknesses and try to develop him into a more you know holistically uh good nba player I really think he would be fun in Denver with Jokic. The way that he even cuts to the rim. God, and just I think Jokic right. would there's not anybody in the league better that would like be able to find him in all of the spots that he and just uh that would be perfection. Uh I think Utah would be interesting. I think their system mm-hmm. is, you know, pretty um right. They like to jack up shots and, and keep the ball moving. I think Memphis would be fun too. You know, Memphis oh, is, is the the amount of you can never have enough shooting around somebody who creates so much attention in the paint as Ja does, and Ja is such a phenomenal passer. So to be able to kick out to elite shooters like that with him and Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. like I think the spacing would be phenomenal there. Uh, but like I said, I think that any smart team will be able to find a role and a value in somebody who could potentially be an elite shooter. All right. Um, If you're buying stock in Lee, who may you have bought stock in previously? This was, I mean, I feel like all the guys that I thought of, you already mentioned. Um, I'll be totally fair. All of the shooters. (laughs) (laughs) To be totally fair though, I thought of, I even thought of Nick Stauskas because I, I might be the only one on planet Earth who thinks this, but I, I still don't understand why Nick Stauskas isn't in the league. I feel like yeah. he is such a good shooter. I still think he's like, what, 28, 29? He should be somewhere shooting, jacking up threes. Because, Corey, I, you may disagree with me. Or actually, no, I think you will agree with me. Like, Stauskas had a little extra to him. Like, I remember he had like a little handle to him. He could do a little bit more. He could even take it to the cup. He, I looked it up. He's actually oh, legit 6'6". Yeah, I just that's yeah. 
Yeah. Interesting. So, dude, he was I, he was yeah. a bad motherfucker in college. He was. I'm. I, he just. You know what it is. He, it's. He started off with you know the wrong button on his shirt, dude. He ended up with the Kings, and it just kind of tanked from there. Yeah. But I still think he could have worked out. But I, I thought of Stauskas. Of course, I thought of Davis Bertans. Except, you know, I watched a ton of Davis Bertans this week. Um, for lead to and it's just like no I, I think there are big differences there because Bertans can't pass for his life dude that that dude is not a good passer um from at least from the stuff I've been watching and nah, um I yeah one, Bertans pretty one-dimensional I think he is he That's, is yeah. he is so those are some guys that I thought about um I couldn't really think of an exact one for one I couldn't even think of someone from the 90s that I really liked so <laughs> yeah yeah I think he's. I think he's got a little McDermott in the in his game. Um, I think he's got a little bit of Duncan Robinson in his game. I, I mean, I think with these shooters, they're so the archetype is so specific that yeah, you know, you can really make the argument for any one of these guys. And I, I think you you can kind of hit on it. Um, all right, look, nobody should ever have to do this segment more than you. This is this is your guy in the draft. This is you know the the big segment of the show. It's time to sell me this pen on Mister Hyung Jung Lee. Well, first off, Corey, I, I think it's time Uniball or Pilot or one of these pen mm. companies. Need, they, you guys need to give us a call, or maybe it's Apple with the Apple pencil or whatever. Ooh, you guys need to call it. and freaking sponsor us because we. Maybe this we is one them. of the most. Yeah, <laughs> this is one of the most sponsorable segments we've got. But here we go. Um, I want to sell you on Hyun Jung Lee, and it's pretty simple. I say this almost for every prospect, but it, it comes down to this, right? The NBA loves shooting, right? There is a deep, powerful love affair and fetish when it comes to shooting. Maybe I shouldn't have used the word fetish, but it's fine. Okay, we'll keep it moving. <laughs> the NBA loves shooters. Uh, smart NBA teams love shooters. Uh, Hyunjung Lee was a 50-40-90 guy in his sophomore year last year. This year on higher volume, he lost, you know, their main guy in Kellen Grady going to Kentucky. He's he's bearing a much bigger burden on his shoulders offensively, and he's still shooting the lights out. He's got really, really good percentages. And as we mentioned, I love the McDermott comp that you made because he's great at cutting to the basket, finishing at the rim. There is, There are more dimensions to his game. So if you're an NBA team, that's looking for a lights-out shooter who's also 6'7", who's not afraid to attack the boards, a guy who can really connect things for you on the floor. <laughs> One of the big draft terms nowadays is if you've got a heliocentric creator on your team, <laughs> um, Jung Lee is a great moon uh, for that heliocentric creator. He's a guy who is going to be able to space things out for you, hit tough jump shots, uh, be in the right places on both sides of the floor, it's he's going to be a winning player in, in my eyes. Um, once again, I, I he's not going to be an all NBA guy, but if you're a team in the second round, late first, and you need a shooter and a guy who is going to increase um, the skill level on your team, take Hyun Jung Lee. Let's fucking go. Let's go. Look, I, I'm really happy we did this episode. Lee's one of my favorite prospects to watch because I appreciate beautiful ball movement i you know taking out the trash is always a joy to read because you do such a wonderful job of 
melding pop culture, which I love with basketball prospects. I got to be honest, I haven't gone beyond the second um, Fast and Furious. Hmm. Maybe I saw the third one. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, But one of these days, it's going to be one of the things I, you know, I just commit to and watch all of them. You you wrote about how the fifth installment reminded you of the fifth movie. Movie. I was lost a little bit. I didn't watch any of the clips because I don't want anything spoiled. But if you like Fast sure. and the Furious, you should read. Uh, and you like Hung Jung Lee, you should you should definitely read uh, Albert's piece at No Ceilings at Substack dot com. Um, I hope we did his episode justice because he's he deserves I... a little bit more shine. <laughs> First off, Corey, I, I just want to thank you again. Uh, like I said, I it, people may think I said all this in jest, that I was just kidding or whatever, but uh, Corey bet on me uh, about a year ago, uh, a guy who's an absolute nobody who just had a Twitter account, um, and now I get to write articles for our unbelievable website. And guys, if you aren't checking, if you're not subscribed to our No Ceilings newsletter, I don't know what the F you're doing, bro. Like, our team of writers are unbelievable and the fact that i get to write with these guys is such an honor for me uh, when it comes to the taking out the trash column that i do bi-weekly it really is for me to be an idiot and talk about prospects that i like and also just infuse the random pieces of pop culture and the cultural zeitgeist of the time and it, it's a weird thing that i do and and i'm thankful for all the people who decide to click on my articles and read them because a lot of it feels like nonsense but I'm thankful for the opportunity. I, I hope Hyun Jung Lee, you know, I, I hope you read it. I hope you listen to the pod because we've got a lot of love for you. And, you know, in a lot of ways, we're we're trying to get him on people's radars because mm-hmm. I, I think he deserves to be on people's radars. Uh, we we think that he deserves the publicity. Also, you guys should know at, our, at No Ceilings, I'm not the only one who's high on him. Corey's high on him. I know Nick's really high on him. I know Metcalf's really high on him. I know Alex is really high on him. So, I mean, some of, the, some of our guys have him higher on their boards than I do. So this isn't <laughs> just an Albert thing that's going on on our website that I'm very thankful for. And, um, yeah, man, I, I'm I'm very proud of the the column. I'm really proud of this pod, and I hope he hears it, and I hope he gets the praise and the credit that he deserves. You know, I it's almost a year now that you mention it. And I went, I just looked. February twelfth was our first wow. episode, so we're actually coming up. Um, That's crazy. On a year, it it seems like next week's episode is going to be the one year anniversary pretty much so maybe we'll have to figure out a way to to do something fun with the the Mm -hmm. one-year anniversary show but look thank you everybody for for watching on youtube thank you for you know watching on spotify thank you for listening anywhere that you listen to it um we you know this podcast has grown so much since that first episode uh it's crazy how many people do listen to it we've been number one the number one basketball po- podcast in multiple countries, um, which is insane. We've been, I think, in the top 15 in America of all basketball podcasts, you know, as an independent podcast. Really, really fun. It's really fun to see. And, um, you know, even, you know, I, I've had a lot of cool stuff happen to me through basketball. And every time something cool happens, it feels surreal. And every time we get to do this podcast and I see, you know, it pop up in a player, still feels surreal um and you know 
getting to do this with you has been a lot of fun, dude. So tell the people where they could find you on the internets. Uh, you can find me at Alberto Gim. Toe is spelled T-O-E, like the toe on your foot. Uh, you can also find me at GTGNBA. GTG stands for Garbage Time Gim uh, is where you can find me. And uh, you can find me at Corey Tulliba on Twitter, the NBA Draft Dude on YouTube. Um, and you can find uh, both of our work at noceilings.substack.com. You will get free content delivered to your email uh, daily, right to your inbox, just Monday through Friday. Dope-ass team of writers. This week, I wrote um, a piece about a little, got into a little bit of draft philosophy, wrote about what would Masai do? Right. When, when looking at a prospect, is this somebody that Masai Ujiri would target? And uh, kind of that might be the direction of, of the league one day, just playing a bunch of dudes that are six foot seven. Young Jung Lee is six foot seven. Let's he go. might fit in. So um, make sure to read that article. Make sure to read Albert's article. Make sure to read Tyler Rucker's article on do's and don'ts uh, of scouting. Uh, Nathan Gribble from Draft Deeper you know, wrote a rookie ladder for us this week. We've been on fucking fire NBA jams style, man. So thank He's you for listening fire. to the podcast. Like, subscribe, share, all that good shit. We appreciate y'all. We out. Peace. Peace.